Maybe it will be different this time. Justin McCoy joins us today from Moonlight Mountain Recovery. He talks about the importance of self-care and recovery and differentiating between your healthy thoughts and the addict mind. He believes connection is the opposite of addiction, but discusses protecting your story. He says some people are ready for recovery and some people aren't, and highlights the power of daily rituals and acts of service. Enjoy. Welcome to the Illuminate Recovery Podcast. We shed light on mental health issues, mental illness, and addiction recovery. Ways to cope, manage, and inspire. Beyond the self-care we will discuss, you may need the help of a licensed professional. My name is Kurt Nider. I'm a husband, father, entrepreneur, a handyman, and a student of life. I avoid conflict, I deflect with humor, and I'm fascinated by the human experience. And I'm Shelly Mangum. I am a clinical mental health counselor, and my favorite role of all times is grandma. I am a seeker of truth, and I feel like life should be approached with tremendous curiosity. I ask the dumb questions. I fill in the gaps. All right, we are here today and super excited to have Justin McCoy with us. Justin is um, with Moonlight Mountain Recovery. Um, that's an organization, a facility that does substance abuse and and um, you do quite a bit of mental health up there, Justin. We do actually dual yeah. diagnosis, dual yeah, diagnosis the residential in Idaho, <clears throat> um, and they're growing. Justin will talk about that a little bit. Um, Justin and I have known each other and worked together here for a few years now, and. Um, He's got a fantastic story, but he also has a lot of experience in the industry and some wisdom to share there as well. And so super excited to have you on, Justin. Thank you, Shelley. I appreciate the opportunity. It's it's very nice. Um, Okay, so let's start out with something a little fun and a little bit light. Tell us something that most people don't know about you. Uh, So I present myself as an extrovert because I need to and, and kind of the executive position that I hold and just you know, as, as a mentor to others in recovery, but I'm, I'm actually deep down an introvert and I, I have to force myself to, to do those things like networking and reaching out to others instead of letting them come to me. And so it's, it's been great for my recovery because you know, that those connections that I'm, that I'm building, uh, I would have lost out on otherwise if I had continued to stay what initially I feel like doing so i got to get out of myself Mm. quite a bit well as an as an introvert or as a you know is that your predominant way of being do you need you got to kind of have some alone time and some some i don't know uh regroup time yeah definitely i think uh for me self-care is essential you know i i work in recovery and you know i have to remember that uh, i've got to have my my self-care and whether it's going to the gym in the morning or it's giving myself a cap on the weekends for, you know, time worked, uh, going to, to, you know, personal recovery meetings or just decompressing. Uh, it's definitely something like, um, I will turn my cell phone off. Um, and you know, it's, it's kept me sane, I think. Yeah, definitely. And well, and I kind of relate to that. I'm a, you know, introvert by nature, extrovert, by initiative, (laughs) by choice, right? (laughs) Because it's important. And I love relationships. It's the funniest kind of dynamic, but it's like that quiet time, which I don't know if I allow myself enough 
self-care for years and years i was like what is self-care like what does that what you say it's self-care but what yeah. does that really mean and how do i apply that you know and i don't think i fully understand it yet completely because i will uh i will become a workaholic at times and i will give more of myself than i probably should mm -hmm. you know there's there's always that constant progression to be a better version of me um and so i definitely don't have the self-care thing down Right. Well, and there's also something about staying busy. I find a great deal of, of um, happiness in being v busy, you know, and helping other people um, and not always taking care of myself. But those things bring me a lot of happiness. So is that self-care? Isn't that self-care? It's hard to know. I think it is. <laughs> yeah. I think it is too, but, but there can be too much too, you know, and then the workaholic yeah. thing. Yep. I remember I swore, right? Because um, I swore I wasn't going to give so much of myself to work, right? I was going to have this great balance, and it is challenging. It's yeah. challenging. Yeah, it's definitely challenging, and especially when I have, um, you know, so many goals right now with what I want to be doing in the industry. Um, it's very challenging because I will definitely work more than, you know, what I what I tell myself I should be working um, and it's hard to know my limits, uh, but yet on other times, like you have to know your limits and, you know, sometimes my limits are, are actually pointed out to me by others. Um, you know, taking that feedback from, you know, some of my supportive peers of like, Hey, you've been working quite a bit, you know, or, you know, what are you doing for you lately? Have you been to a meeting lately? Have you, you know, I got, I got, um, invited to a retreat actually tomorrow and it's a big book retreat over in lava hot springs and it's a friend of mine in recovery and he says you know what are you doing for you you know uh he's an owner of a facility and he says what are you what are you doing for you man like you've got a lot going on and i said this week not much and he said <laughs> okay let's go to let's go to this big book retreat i got going on and i said for sure wow so, that's yeah. cool and it's you've got to have a lot of people in the community in the recovery community that are you know checking in with you yes which is part of part of recovery right yeah and i think early on in my recovery i distanced myself from those people's those people for sure because i i really struggled with reaching out you know to others for help i i spent my childhood you know being taught to you know not reach out for help to you know be self-sufficient to not um you know, just, just present myself as, as a, at a, a certain way. And, and so those learned behaviors are really hard to get out of. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I don't know if you're alone in that because that would seem to be a message for, even for me. And, and I will say, I didn't, I didn't necessarily experience a ton of abuse or, you know, a lot of neglect, but the, still the message that was sent is you can depend on yourself and, and you can't really trust anyone else. And that seems to be even accentuated, you know, loud when you become, you know, when you have an addiction or, you, you know, you have some of those other patterns, mental health or whatever, that seems to be loud and clear. Yeah. I think the other part of that, too, is the emotional piece of like, don't show your true emotions, you know, don't be vulnerable. That mm -hmm. was that was how I was raised was to not cry not talk about your emotions, you know, my father used to say, I'll give you something to cry about, you know, those types of, you know, generational mentalities, um, 
and they really affected me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's something that I have to continually recognize that I'm still doing Mm. and then take that time to kind of step back and, and think, okay, that's an old way of thinking. Like that's a, that's a previous pattern that I've done before that doesn't really get me anywhere. Um, and so I kind of have to shift my, you know, way of thinking and try something new this time. Yeah. There's lots of challenges, lots of skills that we learn along the way. And I don't think we're ever done on the journey. Definitely not. I, but I do find that when I am continually learning, I'm happier. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm challenging myself to learn new things, I'm happier. And, you know, there's, I, I'm, a, I'm a big 12-step person. And so, you know, like they, they teach the back to the basics meetings. Like there's certain basics that I don't stray from anymore. Um, but on the other hand, like I have to continually evolve and learn and just challenge myself because that's what keeps me happy. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense and super important. You know, we probably ought to talk something we haven't shared um, or talked about is your story. How did you, you know, what were you doing before recovery? Have you always been in recovery? And then, you know, how did you end up in recovery? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, my my story is is, uh, definitely one of struggle. Um, Yeah, I started using drugs and alcohol at a very young age. I was 12 years old when I first started, you know, using cannabis and, um, you know, drinking. And I I did those things because I didn't like who I was. I always wanted to be like that guy. Um, You know, I was always the person that felt that I was the outcast and awkward. I, I was having just this struggle forming, you know, connections uh, with others. And so using drugs and alcohol gave me those false connections with, with others, with the world. Um, and then, you know, along the way it became, a, you know, an addiction and a habit and, you know, a, a pattern and a behavior and Um, you know, I, I spent, um, you know, I got married at a young age. I jumped from relationship to relationship, just trying to seek out, you know, those connections, uh, but they were unhealthy. Um, and I was never truly at a point where I loved myself. Um, I, I got married at a young age. I have two wonderful children. Um, I got divorced at a young age, you know. I started to really just lash out um, behaviorally and and in my addiction, I started using a lot of heavier drugs, you know, meth and heroin. And um, I went from smoking and and thinking like, oh, I'll never be that guy that that shoots up drugs. You know, I'm I'm a better drug addict than those other ones, you know, (laughs) right? Right. Like. Like, I've got my job still. Yeah. Like, I haven't lost my job. I haven't lost my car. Like, I'm, I'm a functional drug addict, but, like, those things left, too. Like, mm-hmm. I lost my job, you know. I lost my car. Um, in fact, I lost several cars and several jobs and several relationships. And, um, you know, one of my very early defining moments for me was uh, when my ex-wife would would play these messages, uh, she would call when I wouldn't come home and she'd put my daughter on the phone and I hear my daughter say, daddy, please come home. I miss you. Whoa. 
And in my addiction, I'd say, screw her, and I'd hang it up. And I'd get so angry, and I'd stay out for another few days without coming home. And it wasn't until that I'd have those those small moments of sobriety, and I'd re-listen to that message, and it would hit me, you know, deep down in my heart. But that was very short-lived. Like, it got me to, to reach out for help uh, for moments, but then... You know, the the lack of connection, the lack of support, the lack of additional treatment and, um, you know, caused me to, well, not caused me, I chose, you know, to, to relapse again. And I, 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 I did that pattern, Shelly, for, I don't know, 15, 15 years or so. Um, you know, I would get months clean. Um, everything would be great. Kids be like daddy's home you know uh families back together and then i would disappear again you know and i i had these moments where i did not reach out for help like i told myself i'm gonna go use and then i didn't tell on myself to anybody and then i just mm-hmm. got it stuck in my head and so i'd go use um but i kind of went through that pattern you know and I, I was arrested several times. I, you know, had some pretty severe charges. I was homeless. Um, I was in and out of work. Uh, but getting out of jail, I would get a year or so into my recovery, into my, well, I should say sobriety. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would relapse again. And I, looking back now, I see that it was those those little connections, those the vulnerability, the honesty, and the connection. Those three things were missing, and then that overall just willingness um, to work on my myself. You know that true healing. So do you do you believe that the opposite of addiction is connection? Hundred percent. Yeah. <clears throat> like no doubt in your mind. No doubt in my mind. Like I am a full testament that like when I when I build and you know connections in my life when I can be vulnerable and authentic with people it fills that hole that need for for anything and everything else. I mean, hands down. Um, I think there's some very strong mental health, you know, aspects of it as well. Like I've got, you know, I have tons of shame that I had to work through. Um, you know, those those deep down feeling unlovable, unwanted. Um, you know, and I I have to go through a process of feeling those emotions to heal. And for so many years of my life, I just didn't want to. I, I built up, uh, you know, a very strong ego defense of, you know, all these little, you know, ego defenses that, that we have, you know, avoidance yeah. and denial and... Um, well, they're there to protect us, right? And so we use them yep. in harmful ways to protect ourselves. But it sounds like that was true for you even at a super young age, Yeah. you know, to where you just did not like who you were and you needed a way to to change that. I did. I felt, I felt like I was, like I, like I said before, I felt like I wanted to be like that guy. Like I was never happy with who I was. Um, you know, I, and I don't, 
remember, like, I can't pinpoint a certain, like, embarrassing moment where somebody made fun of me and I, you know, thought, oh, I can't be my true self. But I always felt that way of that I could never be who I wanted to be because I felt I wouldn't be accepted. Hmm. And so I always held back. Yeah. And so now you've been how long into sobriety? So nine years. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. That's really incredible. Yeah. It's been a bumpy road and I have had slips and, you know, it's been, um, but you know, I, I like to talk about true recovery. Like there's a difference between, they call it white knuckling it in the rooms. Like I, I'm on a recovery journey and you know, that is the true, the true place to be because it's a lifestyle change. It's a paradigm shift of thinking, um, and, and just not using drugs and alcohol doesn't achieve happiness unless you do those other things with it. So, yeah. So it's not just about the white knuckling and not using, it's about truly changing everything about what's going on inside, the way you think, the way you feel and the way you connect with other people. hundred percent. And what, where did you get, where do you get that connection? Where do you like, what made the difference, right? Because you struggled with sobriety for years and years and then you were able to make that shift. Do you have things you can pinpoint? Yeah, I've I've got quite a few actually, you know, I, I have a few defining moments, you know, I just got plain old sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, I, I picked myself up and I relapsed and I picked myself up and I relapsed so many times and I, I just had so much shame and guilt for things that I had done and, you know, the, the crying of the kids and the disappointed family and, you know, people just wanting to wash their hands, you know, of me um, because I did some very hurtful things that I just realized that there was, it was easier to work on recovery than it was to go back to relapsing. Like the pain of staying the same was, was worse than the pain of change. Mm. Like that was a huge defining moment for me. The pain of staying the same was worse than the pain of change. And so I chose the pain of change. And granted, there's a lot of pain. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of pain. Yeah, a lot of pain with the change. But, you know, that was a huge defining moment for me. You know, and I I had that defining moment in uh, 2009. And, you know, it wasn't until 2012 or so when I I really had that long-term, when I entered what I call recovery, you know. Um, and, And at that point, like... You know, you have these moments of, they call it the pink cloud, you know, in the 12-step rooms. Uh, you know, you get super gung-ho for your recovery, and you go to a lot of meetings, and you read the book, and you, you know, and then all of a sudden, the pink cloud disappears, and, you know, life smacks you again. And you're like, oh, like, maybe I could use again. Mm. Maybe this time will be different. <laughs> Nobody's ever thought that before. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's not different. And, you know, that's the vulnerability and the honesty. That's where that kicks in. Like, 
you know, I, I fully believe in sponsors, mm-hmm. you know, and, and sponsoring people and, and going to meetings. Do you have a sponsor now? I do. Yeah. Do you have more than one? I have one sponsor uh-huh. and, and he has a sponsor <laughs> uh, and I sponsor two people. And, and what is the, what do those relationships do for you? So I think they keep me accountable, you know, um, they hold me accountable. I hold the other people accountable. I, I have a connection that I am continually building a relationship, you know, with somebody who I consider to be a, a very dear friend, um, somebody who I can trust and tell anything to. You know, uh, when I have those creep in thoughts of that, I could, I could use again, like I can reach out to him and be honest and be like, I I'm thinking about using today Mm. and he won't just say like, well, why would you do that after everything you've been through? That's a comment I would get from a family member if I told him, right. But not from a sponsor. Yeah. He'd be like, wow, like what else you got going on in your life? Like what, why do you think you want to use? Like, are you stressed? Like, you know, how's that going to work out? Like, let's play the tape through a little bit, you know? Well, I think there's something, leastwise I've noticed this in my relationships that, um, that when I can be with people that accept me, no matter how I show up, whether it's, whether it's happy or sad or angry or ugly or, you know, messy and they'll love me no matter what, when I realized there were people in my life that didn't care, I mean, they just loved me for who I was, that, that was a huge shift for me. Do you get the same thing out of um, your sponsors and those those close relationships? I do. And, you know, for me, I have some pretty deep trust issues um, that I'm still working through. And so I, I have two people that you know, I have that level of trust with, um, out of all the people I know and all the the relationships I have. Um, but, but that's enough for me right now, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that helps me uh, and I'll, and I'll be able to build more as long as I'm continuing to, you know, to reach out and be honest and vulnerable and have these connections with people. Yeah. And I don't think you have to have a whole bunch of them. I think you have to have at least one and, you know, two or three is great, but, but I agree, you got to start somewhere and, and recognizing that that relationships are hard. Um, would you say that relationships contributed to your relapses and your struggle? Or, or, or I guess maybe a better question is, how do relationships, intimate relationships, sexual, um, you know, partnership relationships, how do those play into your recovery? Yeah. Yeah, I think relationships for me is um, probably high, if not number one on the list for contributing to, you know, struggles in my life, relapses that I had. Um, you know, I, I went through unhealthy relationships, whether they were friends or spouses or sexual partners. And, you know, I think, you know, it boils down to like I was seeking someone else for my own internal happiness. Um, and you know, it, it took some very hard feedback from counselors, from, you know, peers, um, you know, other people in recovery, listening to stories in the rooms and, you know, 
arguments and, you know, failed attempts at, at marriages. Um, I've been married twice and, you know, it's, uh, it was definitely a struggle. Um, but I think, uh, key relationships like having, you know, positive relationships have really helped me. And so, mm -hmm. you know, trying to find the balance of like, cause of course everybody has relationships and some are, some are positive, some are negative, but like, do I have to buy into the negative ones? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and that can get you right back into that cycle of, you know, if they send, if you get a message that you're not worthy and you're not good enough, then it can send you back into that cycle. Yeah. The, the negative self-talk is something that I've struggled with most of my life. You know, I, I constantly told myself that I wasn't good enough, mm. you know, that I couldn't do it, um, that nobody would ever love me, you know, that I was unlovable. Um, and, and that's, that's a long battle that I still go through today, you know, is, is, you know, trying to change that way of thinking. Um, but the more I am in recovery and the more I help others in recovery, like there's a scale. You know, the, mm -hmm. the negative self-talk and the negative beliefs are starting to, you know, you know, outweigh or not outweigh, sorry, the positives are starting to outweigh those negatives. Mm. Um, and, and those are, you know, by the actions that I have, you know, because my thoughts come and go, but when I can actually refute them with, you know, actions that I've taken, I can say, no, that's not true. Like, you've done this, this, and this. Like, you are doing this. You know, you are a good person. Because mm -hmm. you've got to, I mean, you really have to pay attention to those thought processes and the negative feedback, the negative thoughts and messages that are in there and say, and refute them and say, yeah, no, that's not even true because of this and this and this. Yeah. Yeah, and and but yet be careful not to get caught up in into intellectualizing it and to really think like how am I feeling about this? Mm. You know, because the emotional stuff is what has saved me. Like, you know, getting into into my heart and out of my head. Yeah. is has been the most, you know, oh, grueling <laughs> and beautiful process. <laughs> It's hard because I like my head. Yes. I like that logical place, right? <laughs> yes. It's like it's safe. I know how to think through it, right? And I don't have to feel it all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But there is something beautiful that happens when you can get vulnerable like that and connect with those feelings and let them let them have an expression, right? Yeah. Because isn't that what depression is? Isn't that what anxiety is? Is all of those emotions and feelings being held in and not expressed? Yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, me not having um, an outlet for that for so many years, um, whether it was my choice or not, like, that helped me stay, you know, sick. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, and, you know, the therapist in me wants to ask, were those, you know, at 12 years old, were those negative thoughts about yourself, were those yours, or did those come from somewhere else? I'd say both, you know, or all of the above, like, uh, environmental, um, you know, family, uh, and, you know, school. I, I was bullied in school. Um, I, you know, from a very young age, you know, first grade, second grade, third grade, I, I remember very strongly, 
you know, getting in a fight, you know, being beat up, um, you know, being told, you know, that I was different and being teased. Um, you know, I, I grew up in, in, in LA area and I got my ear pierced mm. when I was really young, third grade. Um, and then I got it ripped out of my ear in fourth grade. Like, you know, when I moved up to a smaller town, you know, I was, I was the queer, um, because of the ear piercings. It wasn't society hadn't accepted it at that point, you know? Um, and then my parents, you know, telling me, you know, those, some of those shaming conversations of like, I raised you better than this. Mm. Um, you know, they mean well, I think I know so, uh, but for me, they hurt, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and so, you know, I, I have that struggle for perfectionism because of how I was raised, you know, and I had to be perfect. And when I didn't meet that level of expectation, then I was less than. Mm-hmm. And you can never achieve perfection. Correct. And, and you could never be enough, right? You could never satisfy because as soon as you did something good, yeah. it would just be followed with, well, what about the next thing? Well, and that's exactly what it was is I, you know, I, I never really stopped to enjoy and revel in that moment. It was just the expectation. Oh yeah. I, I, I achieved what I was supposed to mm-hmm. like no big sweats, <laughs> no value to you. It was just, I have to do what I ha- you know, what's expected of me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So here you are in recovery for nine years and, and working in the industry, you work in the recovery industry. Talk about um, kind of how long have you been working in the recovery industry and what is that like for you? Yeah. So, you know, I, I got very motivated, fresh out of treatment to work in the industry. I went through originally a very intensive inpatient program. It was 90 days of a residential treatment where I lived on site. And then it was 90 days of an outpatient treatment that I went to every single day. Um, and after that six month process, uh, I was allowed an opportunity to start working in the industry and I, I went back to school, um, and I decided, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm going to do this. And I got, uh, about four and a half, five years into, you know, working in the industry. And I had a, I had a breakdown, you know, I realized that emotionally I was not as healthy as I thought I was. And I wasn't doing, working my own program. I was relying on the job, you know, for my recovery. Mm -hmm. I stopped going to meetings. You know, I stopped talking to my sponsor. I I wouldn't sponsor other people. Um, And I thought that I could have both, you know, as one. Mm -hmm. And, you know... I stopped working in the industry after that, actually. I spent about two years thinking I'm never going to go back to working in in recovery. Um, it's just not for me. And, you know, I, I went and did some other, you know, I sold cars <laughs> professionally <laughs> for a little while. Uh, realized I didn't like that. <laughs> and, um, you know, really took a long, hard look at, you know, what enriches and empowers my life, you know, helping others really gives me purpose and drive. 
and I I said okay, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go back into working in the industry, uh, but I've got to have some very strong boundaries in place, Shelley. I really do because it is harder for me, and this isn't the case for everyone, but it is harder for me to work in recovery and be in recovery at the same time. You know, simple little things like. You know, you have a client who who brings in drugs when they get checked in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's availability to me. Mm-hmm. Like, that's scary. You know, as much as I want to say, like, that doesn't affect me. Oh, it does. Like, and I've got to put accountabilities in place, uh-huh. you know, with, with other staff members. And so I don't handle that stuff anymore. It's just not for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have to know my limits. Um, I, I have to have my own separate 12 step meetings than the ones that, you know, people that I work with go to because otherwise I don't, um, I don't feel like I can be a hundred percent vulnerable and honest in, in, in a meeting, in, in an environment, you know, where a client has come into treatment and been in, you know, and is there currently trying to recover themselves. And so I have to separate, you know, and it, it takes extra effort for me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that, um, you know, I, I, I'm hearing what you're saying and, and some of it feels, it feels contradictory to what healing and recovery is that you can't show up and I get, the, I get the, the fine line, right? Because it makes sense that here you are in a professional role, you're, you're running a facility, you know, you have to present yourself professionally, and yet you have a recovery story and you don't feel like you can be totally authentic with that recovery story in that professional role. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, for me, uh, and someday I might be able to, mm-hmm. I know that it has, has, it has bitten me in the butt in the ass you know I guess you could say like I have been a hundred percent authentic before and then I've had you know it hurt someone else's recovery um, because they were you know offended or you know they felt like they couldn't trust me and that's that's something I can't control mm-hmm. like I can't control how much someone else trusts me um, and and I've got to maintain trust with what I do and so in order for me to maintain that trust, I have to be guarded at mm-hmm. times. Um, but, but outside of that, I, I can be completely vulnerable and honest with my support system, mm-hmm. you know. You can have both. Yeah, and I, and I can share my story with people in recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I just, you know, I think for me, like the, the difference is like, am I sharing my story for my recovery or am I sharing my story for their recovery? Is there a purpose behind why I'm talking about these certain things? Mm -hmm. And, and if they're, if it's for me, then it's wrong, you know, um, because I work in the industry and so I have to do what's, what's right for the client and Mm -hmm. what's for, you know, the person in recovery. So talk a little bit now about where you work and how you ended up there and your vision for where you're going. Yeah, definitely. So I work for Moonlight Mountain Recovery. Uh, we are uh, Idaho's premier treatment center. We've got uh, three facilities currently, uh, one in uh, Pocatello, well, two in Pocatello. There's a residential 
um, an outpatient facility, and then we have a sober living house. And, um, you know, I, I got that opportunity actually through you, (laughs) (laughs) you, you introduced me to the owners. Um, thank you very much. It was a very good, uh, melding of a relationship because the owners are very passionate, you know, they're, um, uh, I think, you know, so many different facilities can get caught up in the money that can be made and they lose track of, you know, providing a genuinely helpful program. Um, and then, you know, offering good resources to the community. And, you know, I feel that I have that with this company, you know, the goals that we have together is to be a resource to, you know, all of Idaho and, and, you know, surrounding States, like, and I just get a different feel, um, you know, working with everyone here, uh, everybody enjoys what they do. You know, there's not one employee, uh, that, that doesn't have passion for, you know, recovery and what they do. And it just makes the days go by so much easier, Shelly. Like I don't, I don't feel like I'm working at times. So you can really focus on helping people and and putting a program together that makes a difference and that you see change lives. Yeah, definitely. And, and the program that we have designed, I feel is a really good program. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got accountabilities in place. We've got, you know, a very, a very strong peer accountability culture. Um, you know, we, we will work a 12 step program or a holistic program. You know, if somebody is a non 12 step, if, you know, and, and that's the hard part. Like I think in my recovery, I got into points where I thought, Hey, there's only one way to reach recovery. You know, you have to go through, you know, the 12 step program. Um, but that's not, that's not the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, there's many people achieve recovery many different ways. Mm-hmm. And we, we allow that, you know, we've got some very different, you know, minded therapists and, and, you know, caseworkers and support staff. Um, and, you know, some of them are in recovery and some of them aren't. Um, but we allow, you know, individualized needs, mm-hmm. uh, and we can provide that. Which I think is super important because we all come from different perspectives and different walks of life. And so we have to be able to find our path to recovery or their path to recovery, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a balance too. Like if you just allow a client to dictate their own recovery, it's not going to work mm. because what, what, what we do, what they do wasn't working. So, right. They thought it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, so there's gotta be some intervention in there, sure. you know, you got to steer them in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But Well, and a lot of education, right. A lot of skill training and learning and, you know, th- and being vulnerable, right. Making those connections that, that are, can be really hard to make. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. I mean, we've mentioned it a couple of times, you know, uh, the opposite of addiction is connection and, you know, it doesn't matter how you're achieving that connection. As long as you're building connection, you know, being honest and vulnerable and willing, you know, a level of willingness goes a long way. Yeah. Well, and healthy connection, right? Because there's yes. a lot of connection that's not healthy, but you're looking for that solid connection that allows you to, you know, be vulnerable in a safe place that allows you to share 
whatever's coming up, like you talked about with your sponsor, be able to say, you know, I'm thinking about using today and not be shamed for that, right? Yeah. Because they know how to respond and they understand right where you're at. Yeah. I think the worst thing, you know, that has happened in my life is when I can feel like being vulnerable and honest to people and then... I feel like that was the wrong thing to do because of something they've said or the way I feel judged. They might not have been judging me, but I took it that way, you Mm -hmm. know. So having the right connections with those individuals is is essential. It's definitely 100%. Yeah. I I think the message that goes through my head, it's something Brene Brown said, is that not everybody deserves to hear your story. And so you still have to set boundaries and, you know, there are certain people that earn the right to hear your story and there's some that don't and they're not safe yet. Um, and yeah. you, you kind of have to know who those are, I think, because I, I would, you know, I've relate to that. I've shared my story or shared experiences that were personal and went, that just didn't go over the way I thought it should have or yeah. would have, you know? Yeah. hundred percent. I, you know, I've done it several times throughout my life and, you know, some people are ready for recovery mm-hmm. and some people aren't, you yeah. know, I think as a nation, like I would love to see the trends change. Yeah. You know, we, we put money into incarceration, you know, uh, into, you know, the wrong programs, you know, and I would love to see, you know, as, as a nation, as a whole, uh, start investing in, in recovery and in treatment into people's lives. Yeah, I agree with that too, because you know, early on in my, in my counseling career, I worked in a halfway house where women are coming out of prison and listening to their stories and the childhood neglect and abuse that they experienced. It was not hard to go, well, why in the world are they in prison? They need help. I mean, they really need help. They've had, they've been disadvantaged their whole life and they need help. And granted, there's that balance of protecting society but prison wasn't the place where they were going to get the help they needed. And then we end up institutionalizing them, you know, and, and that's a tough thing. So I agree. I think shifting, shifting some of those things, um, having better programs, I think we're getting there, but it's sure slow. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, and I, I, I'm part of a networking group in Idaho. And, and so I meet with, you know, each member of the networking group on a weekly basis and, you know, it's so large and, and I'm learning quite a bit, but uh, you know, these individuals that I meet with, some of them really don't understand recovery at all. And I'm, you know, this is, this is 2021. And I think like, Hey, shouldn't everyone in the world know what recovery is and what treatment is like? And people just don't like, and there's nothing wrong with they them not knowing. It's just that you know, they just don't know, like it's not mainstream enough yet. And, and, you know, there's just not enough programs out there. Or, and it hasn't come close enough to touching their lives where they've had to see somebody go through that up personal, you know, up close and personal. Um, it's like when a recovery center wants to, you know, wants to show up in a neighborhood and all the neighbors are so against it and fight against it. And, you know, it's everything you can do to get that established, that facility established there. And then you have these neighbors that just love 
everything that you contribute and everything that this program stands for and the people that it helps but and those are the neighbors that get the free weed pull in from uh-huh. the from the treatment people uh-huh. <laughs> and then they cuz we're all about so service yeah know, we're right? all about service <laughs> and helping out and <laughs> but the idea of having those kind of people yeah. which it's everybody it's our people too it's our family it's our you know it's our loved ones too and but they just don't have that frame of reference and the experience. And so it's hard to, you know, to swallow that and go, darn it, you, you know, more people need to understand this. Yeah. And, and I think, like you said, like once, once it touches their lives, then, then their belief systems and their thought processes change. Like, you know, when they can experience it and it sucks like that people have to go through that in order to understand it because I don't wish you know, even my worst enemy, I don't really have any, but still like, it's just a phrase, an addiction, you know, like it's, it's not something that I'm ever, you know, going to be rid of, you know, I, I'm a full believer. Like, you know, I think that by doing, you know, certain steps throughout my day, I, I, I achieve a relief for, for that day, for Mm -hmm. that moment, Mm -hmm. you know? But when I stop doing those things, you know, my old way of thinking creeps back in. The insanity comes, mm. you know. Um, and so as long as I'm I'm doing that, then I am recovered, you know. As long as you do your, your everyday, your daily pieces, right? Your, yeah. The healthy things that you have to put in place. Yeah, and it's, it's different for, you know, many people. It's... You know, I, I, I watched a, a recovery uh, talk one time and this guy talked about, you know, uh, writing, did I take my insulin today on a mirror? Mm. And he's not a diabetic, oh. but that for him, that was, is he doing what he needs to do for his recovery today? And, and he was relating it to like a disease, you know, mm. like the insulin, like <laughs> if you're diabetic and you don't take your insulin, you're in hot water. You're going to die. You're going to die. Yeah. You know, and, and that that's, uh, it's amazing, you know, to think of it that way. But it is like, do what you need to do. do you know, do your step for me. It's my step work, you uh-huh. know, step one, two, and three. Like I've got to, I, I got to wake up and admit that I'm an addict, you know, and that there's a power out there greater than me that's going to restore me to sanity as long as I am willing and reach out and ask for help. Mm-hmm. Like that's my step one, two, three. That's my daily routine. Yeah. And when I'm doing those things, I, I'm happier. I'm sober. I'm, I'm in recovery. Which is so powerful. So where do you see, where do you see your future? Yeah. Great question. So I don't know. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I know what I want to do. You know, I've got goals to continually expand you know, uh, the recovery network of Idaho. That's my goal. Um, you know, whether it's community resources, whether it's treatment centers, uh, whether it's personal impacts on people's lives. Uh, I spent many years in Utah and, you know, I recently moved to Idaho and there's not as big of a recovery network there as there is in other places. And, you know, I think that I can provide a lot uh, and I think that the owners uh, and Moonlight Mountain Recovery can provide a lot. I'm in, I'm in a position where you know I have that ability to and the responsibility mm. uh, to help others who are less fortunate or who don't understand or don't have the resources. And I I take that responsibility, you know, with 
with you know great effort and it, it's not something that I want to squander you know well I think that's a big point is that you know we've been, you, you, when you're in recovery you get a lot given to you right you give a lot of effort put in to help you recover to not do more than you than you're doing yourself but there's a lot that goes into that and when you you know when you're really when you've really moved to another level is you want to give back you want to contribute and you want to make a difference and I think that's huge so I love to hear that you feel like it's a responsibility because I think you're right I also think that's part of your recovery yep yeah definitely I mean I I was freely given so much and you know, if I, if I don't then in turn share that with others, um, you know, I I mentioned it with the, you know, the service, like it's, it's a huge, it's a huge thing when I can get outside of myself and get into service. Like Shelly, I can't tell you how many times that a simple service project has kept me sober. Mm -hmm. Seriously. Like, you know, and and I'll tell myself like, I don't want to do that today. And Early in my recovery, whenever I hear the phrase, you know, hear myself say the phrase, I don't want to do that, I kind of force myself to do it, unfortunately, but fortunately. Right. (laughs) Because it saved my life. Yeah. Well, and and there's something magical about service. And maybe somebody can put words on what that is, but the the way that I feel after I've done something for somebody else is incredible. And it could be a simple thing like smiling and seeing that frown that they had or that, you know, creased brow lift. It could be that simple. And it just, I did something. I touched somebody's life. I made a difference. It's huge. And it, it shifts everything the way I feel. Um, and I imagine it's similar for you. It is. Yeah, it is. And, you know, it is simple. Like you said, you know, it can be as simple as holding a door for someone or, or taking a moment to, to ask them how they're doing for their day. And then when they say, Oh, I'm doing great. Pause. <laughs> so how are you really doing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that's service. Yeah, you know? it is. Well, it's connection. It's that very connection thing we've talked about several times. Yeah. Justin, I love that you were willing to share your story and share some of your experiences and your wisdom with us. Um, is this has been fantastic. I've learned a lot of things and, um, it's, it's really, um, it's helped me, you know, even think about some of the things that I want to go and do right. And given me the courage to go, you know what, you need to do more. You need to do a little bit more and that sense of responsibility to make a difference. So I appreciate your thoughts and, and your recovery. Um, it's not easy. And I, you know, and I honor you for, being willing to share that story and and staying in recovery because it's it's huge. Thank you, Shelley. I appreciate it. And you know, I'm I'm blessed to to have this opportunity, truly to you know to talk about just those little impactful things and you know my my life and what I've gained in recovery and what I want to still give and like you said that responsibility that I feel. Um, appreciate it. Um, if, um, if people want to get a hold of you, if they want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I think the, the best way, uh, is to reach out to me on our, our, our business, you know, Facebook page, uh, or through email. It's, mm-hmm. uh, Jay McCoy, M-C-C-O-Y at moonlightmountainrecovery.com. Um, you know, if you go to our website as well, uh, moonlightmountainrecovery.com, there's a phone number. 
um, or you can just go to the info area and uh, just go ahead and throw my name in there uh, and I'll, I'll receive it. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. That makes it easy. Um, and there's probably, a, there's a lot of work to be done in Idaho as it sounds like you're finding out. So what a great place for you to be. Yeah. Thank you. It is. All right. Well, fantastic then. And um, really, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Justin. Thanks, Shelley.